Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. All right. Well, the union representing port workers in BC withdrew a 72-hour strike notice that had uh, sparked, of course, concerns the province's ports could be shut down by Saturday. Uh, and, of course, when they announced that, it was effective immediately. How, however, nobody knows what's going to transpire over the next couple of days. They just have not. We've had no clarity in regards to whether the agreement that they had initially tentatively agreed to, which included uh, a 19% wage hike over four years. So it'll be interesting to see what transpires over the next 24 to 48 hours. Now, wages and benefits uh, obviously are negotiated in these uh, negotiations. That's what happens. Uh, But at its core, the issue and concern here for those workers is fighting automation. In 1993, the Dutch port port, uh, in Rotterdam became the first to introduce uh, machine automation when it came to ports. Uh, Since then, many other ports have followed uh, in Asia, in Europe. But at the same time, not every port is automated. In fact, very few are. There's a thousand container ports in the world and about 53 are automated or close to fully automated so that's about four percent of the total global container terminal capacity however it is all headed in that direction so it remains the existential threat for port workers and that's not just port workers look at the uh, strike that we're seeing right now with actors and writers in hollywood as well uh, they are of course fighting for better working conditions and better wages but they also want to be paid uh, residuals, those payments they get when when uh, sh- uh, shows used to go into syndication. Well, today, Netflix just buys those products right in the beginning and there are no residuals paid. On top of that, they're concerned about artificial intelligence. Uh, think about the fact that artificial intelligence one day may be able to uh, create an actor that is so real that you actually don't need a human being or that artificial intelligence could actually write sitcoms and movies that you may not need writers. So for the... Uh, creative industry, it's a true and existential challenge as well. Now, machines will be able to carry out more of the tasks done by humans, perhaps complement the work that humans do, and even perform some tasks that go beyond what humans can do. As a result, occupations will decline, others will grow, and many will change. That is the reality for the modern worker. Joining me now to talk a little bit about this destruction, some would call it creative destruction, others would call it perhaps uh, the end of a certain way of life for the middle class. Margarita Dovgal is the managing director of Resource Works Society, and she joins us now. Margaret, thank you for joining us. Good to be here with you, Jazz. Good so, afternoon. Good afternoon. So, you know, with what's happening at the port, with what's happening with Hollywood and many other industries, uh, I mean, it is fair, I think, for workers to be concerned, is it not? I would say so, but uh, at the same time, it's a global trend. It's the crux of modernity, and uh, Canada's economy, like that of every country, has a pretty strong responsibility to be pursuing whatever economic edge we can afford, because that's the thing that reliably keeps quality of life high for everyone who lives here. And then in turn, governments and businesses also have a major responsibility to bring people along. And as we see the market driving ahead on innovation in all industries, uh, you know, copywriters are experiencing some real challenges right now, finding work. Uh, 
the tools that are used to perform those economic functions change. And when people's skills can't keep up, they face job insecurity, maybe job loss. You know, they say that on the net, uh, there's a lot of unmet demand right now for jobs. Uh, we have a very, very tight labor market. Uh, but that doesn't mean that every single worker who loses a job because of automation is then going to go find another one right away. Uh, so that has a real human impact. And uh, with output automation, you know, I hear Full automation is a little bit unlikely. It's a very complex uh, series of procedures to dock a ship into port. But adopting those new tools does keep us competitive. It enables everyone in this trading nation. And uh, we really rely on our trade to benefit from the economic prosperity that our ports provide. Mm-hmm. And we've seen huge impacts in our supply chains over the last couple of years. There's been blockades, a pandemic, a climate impacts like fires and floods. So they do need that space to recover, but it does require us to have compassionate, people-focused policy solutions that get the right balance of skills and technology and enable us to be competitive in a very, very uncertain global economy. Uh, in regards to the port strike itself, now that you could argue, look, they're, they're not going to automate the port that is there. But, you know, if they're going to build a brand new port, in this case, Roberts Bank, one's going to assume that thing is going to be fully automated uh, to the point there's going to be very few people actually working there. That is the way to go. So does does the union not have a right to say, wait a minute here, we're going to, we have to fight for our life here because in the case of, I think it was the Los Angeles port, they automated, and I've seen the visuals, they lost, I think, 600 longshoremen jobs there. This remains the crisis for the port and port workers. Should they not have a right in this case, even if it, if it, it causes some harm, temporary harm to the economy? Because in many ways, one could argue uh, their, their, their job may not exist in 10 years or even 15 years. Well, collective bargaining is an important and necessary tool. And, you know, these uh, poor workers absolutely have the right to have their concerns heard. Um, It's been a long process. I think back in April, they initially indicated they started the negotiation process. And, you know, it led us to last 20 odd days of uh, our ports being largely non-functional on the West Coast. Uh, it's cost us a billion in, uh, in inbound and outbound trade. Um, and that's not to say that those who do critical functions can't have their views and needs represented fairly and equitably. Um, that, that's a really important piece of how things work in a functional democracy like Canada. Uh, but we also really need to think consciously just about the way the world is changing as a whole. And I think the solution that we're not seeing nearly enough of right now is just investing in people's skills and their ability to stay at the level that they need with the skills that they have to meet the future economy's needs. And that's sitting us very hard across the board. But do you think government can fundamentally address this? Look, if, if you're a longshoreman, let's say you're making the average salary, let's say $130,000 a year. Uh, literally, you would have to retrain for a new industry uh, because if you're replaced by a um, uh, through automation, you may be a millwright. So you have a skill set and perhaps you can use that skill set somewhere else. But do you think government, big, big government can actually fundamentally bring in something that's nimble where you retrain workers and they can move on to, to, to other industries? Because government has difficulty just helping out workers when one sawmill closes. How do you do that with an entire industry like, like, like the port? Because that automation, automation, once you start the process, it moves very quickly. Yeah. If our volume overall, uh, our export volume can grow as a result of new innovative technologies like automation, and we can preserve those jobs, I think that's the the best solution. Um, You know, I I, I would like us to be in a position where we're looking 
closely at all of the issues we have with labor market inefficiency. Um, just because it's difficult doesn't mean that it's not worth doing. Uh, we have huge challenges in our healthcare system. There's a lot of folks with foreign uh, training and credentials that just aren't recognized right now. Mm-hmm. I'm really, really sick of you know talking to my Uber driver and learning he's an engineer and his day job is trucking and he does Uber on the side and there's not a chance that he feels he'll ever find a job as an engineer here in Canada. Uh, and, and that's a really common story. So we, we have a lot of these problems that structurally need to be resolved. It requires massive amounts of coordination, but I think the political will is there. And just because things have been difficult to accomplish in the past, I feel like the imperative is here, and it requires that political will to be expressed and for governments to act on it. You know, put more money into it, work closely with all the other jurisdictions and with industry who has a real active interest in making sure that they can need their uh, meet their business needs to grow. So do you think these jobs should be protected, even through legislation? Or do you think let, let the market do what it does, let innovation and technology uh, uh, move forward and do, do whatever it does in these situations? Should these port jobs be protected? I mean, they're still going to be around right now, but should they be protected? Should they be legislated in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a, an employment agreement? Or we just let them go away if, if, if they end up... If we lose those jobs because of technology, so be it. That is the nature of technology. That is nature of creative destruction, that they shouldn't be protected. Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying we should be heartless about it. I think the collective agreement, uh, and you know, you said 130k a year is the median salary. Mm-hmm. I think the collective agreement does a pretty good job uh, defending those interests of those workers. Uh, they have thousands of workers under their umbrella. It's a flexible pool of labor, uh, so the union has a, a lot of bargaining power, even moving forward in this scenario. And no, I, I don't think anyone should, you know, go and uh, knock everything down uh, in the interest of just letting the market uh, rip and roar free. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to have a human touch and a human element to this and to be compassionate about it. But um, that doesn't mean that we need to turn our back on innovation because that's the thing that's not going to just disadvantage workers in these industries, but it's going to disadvantage all of us as Canadians Mm -hmm. if we can't effectively embrace change and innovation and coordinate where needed, you know, offer the solutions that are needed from a policy and funding perspective to get to better outcomes. So, I wouldn't say the ship on that has sailed. Uh, well, ships are sailing now again, finally, from the ports. But uh, there's still a lot of work ahead, and I, I don't think it's either-or kind of scenario. We need to do all of the above, protect rights and also invest in people. Yeah, I'll believe it once the deal has been ratified. It's not there yet, so hopefully we'll get there very soon. Margareta, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much, Chad. It's great to be here.